It is episode two. It is the best podcast available coming to you live from the Dog Bowl here in Berea, home of the Cleveland Browns. I'm Jason Gibbs. He's Andrew Gribble. As I mentioned, it's episode two. We were good enough to come back. The pilot episode was good enough for a second one, Mr. Gribble. Yeah, we've been renewed, which is good. <laughs> I mean, there's been some pilots that have uh, that have gone by the wayside after the first episode, but we got got a lot of good feedback from, from people, some critiques that will, will help us guide in going forward, and we're changing up the format a little bit this week because our guest is in-house instead of uh, out-of-house. Correct. This is our NFL Combine preview. One week from now, we will come to you live from Indianapolis, Indiana, site of the 2019 NFL Combine. Always a great week and a little peek behind the curtain for fans. It's a great week. It's a lot of work in a week, but... uh, the NFL world descends on the Midwest city known as Indianapolis. Yeah, and it was something I talked with Alonzo about, and we'll get to that interview in a, in, a, in a bit. But you know, this is maybe the only event where every NFL football employee is there. Because I think you go to the Senior Bowl, you're already missing out on a couple teams that are in the Super Bowl. You're missing out on some guys that just don't think the Senior Bowl is a big enough deal for them to be down there. The coaches only stay for a day or two. They don't put in the full week like they do at the Combine. And then not everyone goes to the Super Bowl, So especially the scouts and everything like that. So this is everyone in one very congested city that is built perfectly for the Combine. I want it to stay there forever. I don't want it to go anywhere else. It It is perfectly built to host the Combine. Uh, and you just go everywhere, and these guys, they can't hide. I mean, you go to any bar, any restaurant, you're seeing someone that y- you recognize from the NFL. No question about it, whether it's a broadcaster, whether it's a front office person. You mentioned Alonzo coming up on the best podcast available today. Lucky enough to sit down with Brown's vice president of player personnel, Alonzo Highsmith. It is a fantastic interview. We're looking forward to that. In Indianapolis, it is everything and then some you know I've had a couple surreal moments the one being at a a late night restaurant and Brady Quinn grabbing some food on his way out so you you run into a lot of different people it's great networking you learn a lot about what's coming up especially with free agents you've got agents talking with teams and starting that process and it really is a great week yeah so my random run into person at the combine story is back when I was covering Alabama. So I was just a college writer. I wasn't really uh, in the NFL scene just yet, but we, were, we had our annual, you try to eat at St. Elmo's, like the famous steakhouse sure. in Indianapolis. You try to get in there. And, you know, knowing me, I was in my 20s, not really good at planning. I mean, the best time we could get was like 9.45 on Saturday night. Like that was it. We had to starve and wait until 9.45. And we're sitting by the window. We got a good seat, like a great view of the street and everything like that. And the big cowboy bus rolls in and literally about 150 people start coming up from the basement of San Elmo's. So I guess the cowboys rent out the basement at some point during the combine week every year. They have their big gathering, their big meal. You know, we've always heard about these all these random gatherings they have at the, have in the combine. So the cowboys get San Elmo's. And so as he walks up. Jerry Jones walks right by our table, looks at us, and he goes, nice table, guys. Walks right out and is whisked into his bus and just vanishes, disappears. It was classic Jerry Jones. It was, it was for a guy who hadn't been doing NFL at all, it was like a surreal moment. And it's just like, 
it, it, they just take over the city like you, you've never seen it before. Yeah, coaches are in bars. They're mixing with national media people. It is just uh, – there. there's always every year one of those, whoa, like I'm lucky enough to do this. And number two, I can't believe that person's talking with that person right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a lot of rekindled uh, relationships. I think most of the job hunting has already happened. I feel like the Senior Bowl is much bigger for networking in the coaching timeline, but you know, it's planting seeds toward the future. I mean these guys know each other and – I think it's behind the scenes is where you start seeing all the unofficial talks about free agents and, and guys like that. And then you see those those teams chart out their plans in, in the weeks after that. Well, coming up next week from the Combine, uh, we'll hear from John Dorsey. He'll talk to the media. He'll talk to uh, the Browns uh, conglomerate of media. Uh, Freddie Kitchens will do that as well. And then, you know, the players themselves come to the podiums and then – Begin the workout process, and, and we'll have complete coverage for you next week on the best podcast available, Cleveland Browns Daily Broadcasting Live. Our video team's laid out a great plan, and there's going to be some great videos coming out, uh, some behind-the-scenes things that go on in Indianapolis as well. Some of the big headlines, though, as we get into week two of the best podcast available, we kick things off, and we talk quarterback. We already have a quarterback, yes, I know that we have a quarterback, but the quarterbacks are going to steal the news and they're going to steal the headlines. And it starts with Kyler Murray. Yes, he will be at the Combine, but not sure if he'll throw next week in Indy. Good idea, bad idea, big deal. Does it even matter anymore? I, I don't think it's a big deal. And I, I, I'm usually – I think there's certain years where it makes sense for guys to throw. And I think last year was one of those examples because it was a really competitive quarterback class where guys were really trying to establish themselves as the, as the number one guy, and we really didn't know who the number one guy was until the end. And I think all those guys, you don't want to be the one that's not competing with the other quarterbacks. And I think that this year, though, with the way it lays out, Kyler Murray's kind of in his own category. And I think he, I don't know if he gains anything by throwing. I don't know if he loses anything by throwing. So I don't, I don't know if I have an opinion either way, but I don't hold it against him if he doesn't throw because as a team, if you're going to take Kyler Murray – you're going to take him regardless of how he looked at the combine. It's based on what you're seeing on his tape. You're not really, you're not wringing your hands over. Am I taking Kyler Murray or am I taking Drew Locke? You're, you're, there's just going to, Kyler Murray's going to be your type or he's not going to be your type. And I think that you're going to build your offense around what he does and the special skills he has, not how he looks in these drills with no no pads on or anything like that. It was an interesting article this week in uh, Peter King's weekly column when he sat yeah. down with Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley said. He threw from the pocket and completed about 89% of his passes from the pocket. Yeah. Uh, that number, I think, stands out, and I think teams really kind of turned and did a double take when that article came out. And, you know, Riley wasn't wrong. You know, Peter King went and got some uh, some of the analytic folk to to break it down and confirm it, and they were within three – he was within 3% of it. I, I think the only thing that this really validates, and this is something that can sometimes happen in the pre-draft process and then it just vanishes once they get with a team or it can be a problem throughout their career as I think we've seen it in his interviews at before the Super Bowl and the back and forth on the decision making and everything like that I mean this is a guy fairly or not he's got a lot of people in his ear and I think that that when you start having the second guessing on if I'm going to throw or not that's when I wonder okay 
are we going with an agent here? Is that is are they driving the bus on this one? Is a is a, a a father driving the bus on this one? That's the only thing I'd be maybe worried about. But that's stuff that we worry about in the draft process, and then it just kind of goes away once you get with the team. There's just like there's a lot of red flags there that might not mean anything at the end. I just think he's had a lot of big decisions to make over the last couple months, and he's had a lot of people influencing those decisions. And I think that this is another one where it's like maybe he's not completely driving the bus here when it comes to making this decision. And I think you might get an early indication of that in those quick one-on-ones that happen at night, What uh, the 15-minute meetings. Yeah, it's about 15, 20 minutes. And, and you, guys. You, know, you just get grilled, and I think you'll know one way or the other where he's at uh, yeah. mentally. And I wonder the the question that I would keep that I would ask him is, are you still going to play football if you're a second round pick? That would be because that's the one question. That's where I think it's open ended with him right now. I think that if he's a first round pick, you get first round money. No, no questions asked. When you start, if you fall out of the first round, though, that means you're not only making a lot less money, but your your situation. You're not really guaranteed anything, probably from a starting situation either. That's where I wonder if the the baseball thing's open ended. I'm sure. He's going to be asked that over and over again throughout this week. I wouldn't doubt it at all. And, and I don't think they're doing their due diligence if they don't ask. Yeah. It, it'll just be interesting once we find out who's talking to him. Like, sure, we, I mean, who we met with. Because there's going to be teams that seemingly have their quarterback solution in place that are probably still going to talk to him. So it, would, yeah. it, would it weird you out Like when, if you hear like the Steelers are talking to Conor Murray? I mean, that's, that's the stuff that's going to be – fun to follow along on who's talking to these quarterbacks because like we've talked about before there's only about four or five teams out there with question marks at the position everyone else seems to have their guy in the nfl right now whether he's good or not so it'll 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 tell you a lot about the way teams are thinking or they're they're just using these interviews as fact finding for other players which is common practice as well the second biggest headline this week also involves the university of oklahoma and wide receiver marquise brown a projected top 15 pick in April's NFL draft. He underwent surgery for a Liz Frank injury last month that will prevent him from participating in the combine and his pro day. He's still expected to be ready for summer training camp per league sources. You and I were talking about this the other day with a few people. I mean, it was just a few years ago where Liz Frank was the nail in the coffin. Thanks. Thanks for the career. And, you're done, and now they're saying this guy's going to be back in time for summer, but in the meantime, he's going to miss his pro day, he's going to miss the combine, and he misses everything up to the draft process except for meetings. Yeah, that's where th- this one might hurt him. And I think that because it's the position he plays, one, I mean, every little bit of speed counts, and this is a guy who lives off his speed and his quickness, and that's why, I mean, if you're five, whatever he is, and 168 pounds, I mean, you got to have that speed and quickness. Uh, Tyreek Hill, when he's not 100%, is not much help out there. I mean, he's a good player, but you have to have that speed and quickness. That's why at DB, if you lose any step with a hamstring or anything, they put you right on the sideline. So it'd be a concern. And so I think teams are going to – that this is one they'll have to make a projection on. And I think that, that at that wide receiver position where there's already uncertainty with the guy's size, you know, I wonder if this will be enough that knocks him out of the first round. I don't think he'd fall out of the second round or anything like that. But I think that this is one that – that makes you wonder, you know, are we getting damaged goods here? Because that's what, and I don't know what you can even get from the medical at the combine. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be too pretty close from his surgery. I mean, what are you gonna find out that would give you any solid answer by the time he would be ready to go, anyways? And that leads me to the next question, uh, and, and that's 
the state of this wide receiver class going into the combine, going as we get closer to the draft. With Brown, arguably the number one wide receiver on the board, uh, going to miss all this stuff leading up to the draft, and who knows about his future. DK Metcalf got cleared with his neck injury, but that was a pretty substantial injury that required him to miss a, a decent about amount half of time. A season. Yeah, so that takes you down in a wide receiver class that we're not quite sure of how deep it really is, down to Nikhil Harry from Arizona State uh, or A.J. Brown from Mississippi as the next best available. And I think that changes the complexion of this draft a little bit. Yeah, and, and Dane Brugler, our friend at The Athletic, his consensus take on Marquise Brown, and I think this was actually written before the news broke about his, his surgery, is that you know overall he's got size limitations that affect his finishing skills and lead to durability concerns. And that's that's another thing. It's not only are you making a projection on this injury is if you wonder if there's more to come when you're this size, but his ceiling is a Deshaun Jackson, which is someone that, you know, would really, for the Browns especially, could change the complexion of your offense. And that's where I mean that that's that's what leaves whatever team takes him in a tough position because he is such a talented player that could really change the dynamic of your entire offense. Or you could get someone that's not going to help you at all. But this overall receiving class it's got a lot of depth, but not much top-end guaranteed talent. There's no Amari Cooper in this class. There's no Old Beckham. There's no Mike Evans. You know, there's no guys. It's a lot that, of day two, day three. Day, yeah. Hopefully they pan out. You know, like where a guy like we think our, our local friend Andy Isabella could be a guy that can help out a team right away. Dane Brugel doesn't even have him in his top ten right now. So that shows you that there's depth in this class. But it's not a lot of guys that you're going to – I don't see any guaranteed wide receiver ones in this class right now. Obviously, they could develop that way. But for if you're looking for plug and play, I don't know if you're getting that from this class, which that makes it tough for a team like the Browns because the free agency isn't much to get get with anyways either. There's not much there either. So uh, I think you got to work with what you got if you're the Browns or, and keep identifying talent like they did earlier this week, taking a shot on a guy like Jalen Strong, who was a big draft prospect just a couple years ago. Saturday, March 2nd, the day the wideouts will officially go through their workouts. And I know ABC will air some of that live. NFL Network will carry that live. Definitely something to watch here as we get closer to the draft. Yeah, I mean, I think all eyes are on DK Metcalf, though, just to see what kind of freakish times or measurements he puts up and how he moves, how he looks. I think that's the guy – that, that you have your eyes on. And that's what, what Charles Davis said last week on the podcast. You know, yeah. it's one thing, he's so big, but if he comes out and runs a four five forty, he's going up the charts real quick. Yeah. But if he runs a four seven forty, it could be a long night in the green room for one DK Metcalf. It just speaks to how bad Ole Miss's defense was that they have two of the draft's best wide receivers, along A.J. Brown and DK Metcalf, and they stunk. Like they yeah. just couldn't stop anyone. This <laughs> this team was loaded with talent at wide receiver, but they had two of two. It's hard to have one great wide receiver prospect. They had two of them, and yeah. they just they they still weren't very good. Our third uh, headline of the week: uh, the NFL has rescinded Louisiana Tech defensive end Jalen Ferguson's invitation to the combine after a background check turned up an old battery conviction. Uh, Ferguson was convicted of simple battery his freshman year after a fight at McDonald's, resulting in a deferred judgment and a $189 fine. Um, here's the thing, and, and this is the interesting part of this. Basically, some of these guys are being told now, you can't come to the combine. 
You can't do all the workouts and everything like that, but you can still come to the combine for measurables. Now, I don't know if that's the case in Ferguson's case. Now, he'll be there for medicals. But you're still allowed to show up for medicals, but you can't work out from something that happened maybe three years yeah, ago. Yeah, so the list that we know of that of people that were disinvited, who would have been invited otherwise, are, are now Jalen Ferguson, who is, a, I, I think CBS ranks him as the number seven edge prospect. So he's a, a borderline first-round guy, likely a second-round guy. Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle out of Mississippi State that we've talked about before, who just tore his ACL. He can only go up there for medicals as well. And then a wide receiver from Colorado State, Preston Williams. Those are three guys that we know about that didn't have their invi- that's had their invitation. Ultimately, they either did not, didn't get one because of these incidents or, in Ferguson's case, rescinded. I think this is my prediction as it stands now. I, I, would, I think this might be the last year of this policy because it just seems like there's so much f- confusion, kind of frustration about why these guys aren't available because it's not going to stop these teams from drafting them. I don't think that's – I mean, they're going to get their information one way or the other. It just makes these teams have to work a little bit harder and makes it more of an annoyance. I mean, that's the, that's the issue. If I'm I, – I would want these guys to have to go through the ringer of the interviews with all these teams and having yeah. to answer questions about these incidents. I think that's punishment enough and have it get out there and have these teams get a really good feel for these players and whether or not they're willing to go out on that ledge and take a risk on them and have to take the negative publicity. That's what I don't get here. And also – the medicals, this will tell you some Combine 101. If they're allowed to go do the medicals, that tells you everything. That is the most important thing that happens at the Combine. Everything else is, is not as important as the medical evaluations. That is by far the most important. I just have issues with penalizing a kid that, that made a mistake, for better or for worse, and you know did so two years, three years ago, and then you're going to tell him a week before the Combine he can't come? Yeah, it's, and like, this what? seems like such a minor incident, too. Like, it was a it, fight in a McDonald's. Like, yeah. stupid college thing. Who knows what it was over or why it happened or whatever, but, you know, kids getting fights. Yeah. Literally, it was a $189 fine. Yeah. And, and now you're going to tell him he can't go to the combine? I'm not following this. And I just don't think it's much of a punishment, honestly. I, I just don't know if it's going to hurt these guys' stock. It just makes it – Tougher for the teams, like to do you their said, work. It, it's more of a pain in the you know what for the football teams. Yeah, and I, I just that's why I don't understand. There's been so much backlash to this that I just don't see this surviving. I think it, it it's well intentioned, and I think I understand I understand that, but it's just it, it's not making the point. I think that w- it was designed to make. I think it's just now people are just like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out our way around this and we'll move on. Yeah. All right, those are this week's headlines as we are a week out from the NFL Combine and one week closer to the 2019 NFL Draft. Coming up uh, on the rest of the best podcast available, we'll break down some mock drafts. We've got Mel Kuyper's latest mock, Charlie Casserly, former NFL GM with his mock, uh, Kalen Kaler from the MMQB out with a mock draft. We'll also get Gribbs three big things to watch for next week at the Combine. We'll have a little fun uh, with that as well. Uh, right now, it is time for our interview of the week, and we appreciate his time. The Vice President of Player Personnel, Alonzo Highsmith, former great NFL player and college player in his own right, talking about his combine experiences, being a part of John Dorsey's staffs, working in Green Bay as a scout, working his way up, and what they're looking for as we get ready for the 2019 NFL Combine. Have a listen. First off, Alonzo, I just got to ask you, what do you remember about uh... – your experience at the NFL Combine way back when? Oh, man. Let me see. 
1987, it was interesting. You know, it was the first time you experienced something like that as a young man. Um, you pulled and poked and, you know, sent in every direction. And um, I remember standing on the stage looking at like 200 faces staring at you, thinking, oh, man, this is this is wild. So it was a great experience. So you only go through it once in life. And um, I was thankful I had an opportunity to go through it. What's changed the most about this event since you were back then? Oh, television, the exposure. Um, I don't think anybody even knew the combine was going on when I was in college. Because I remember when I was in college and we had some, my freshman year, you had seniors leaving, every year you had seniors leaving, you'd hear about a combine or something, but you didn't know what they were talking about. It wasn't, nobody was training for it. It wasn't a big there was no big hoopla about it, and you just kind of learned about it, what was going on, and and you left it at that until it was your turn. Now it's a mega deal. It's television. It's TV shows. It's 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 gone in a whole new direction. When you were doing it, you didn't even really do much extra training or any no, specific. No, I just ran and worked out, and somebody said, "Hey, you know you're gonna have to bench press." I go, "Okay, what do you do?" They said, "225." They said, "How many times can you do it?" I said, "I don't know. Let's see." And we did it and showed up at a combine and did it again. How important would you say this event is in the whole draft calendar, all the other events you guys have? Where does it rank on that list? Uh, it's, it's, it's very important um, getting to know the players and seeing them up close in person and meeting them, finding out who they are as people. And then the other part is you get to see them work out, you get to see them move around. But well, I think one of the biggest advantages of it is the medical part. You know, getting the players' medicals and the mental exam, the mental exams and all those sort of things. So, you know, the, probably the most important thing is the medical aspect of it. When you guys are seeing these 40 times and everything, is that just one little check yeah, in the box? That's, that's just one of the – this whole thing is a process, man. Um, you know, it's you – may, you may have feelings for players going in, going into the draft, but as you go through the process, you back off that a little bit and – Someone else you weren't sure about because of the whole process moves up the ladder for you. So it's a it's a whole bunch of different oh man ideas along the way. I can I can say. So I had an idea going in, but then that idea changed as the process went on. The combine, then you meet them in March, and you bring them into the building for a visit, and things change. Some some for good, some for bad. You guys have had all these these meetings here these last couple of weeks kind of preparing for, for this kind of thing. What, what goes on in those meetings, and how does that help guide you guys at the event? Well, you know, basically in those meetings, we're just evaluating all the players with grades on them doing the, from the fall year. All, we, we gather all the scouts for 17 days. It's 17 straight days, Monday through Sunday, and we're going through every position in the draft, every graded player. We watch them on film as a group. And that's phase one of the process. And, you know, we get them lined up on the board where we think they may go in a draft. And then it all changes once the process gets down the road. When you guys are at the Combine, how much is it about knowing what you guys are going to do but also figuring out you guys are at 17th in the draft? Is that where you start to get some information maybe on where the, where these other teams might be leaning no, to? not really. Um, you know, you, you evaluate the players for what they are. And the draft board – kind of calls itself out, you know, and, you know, I think there's one premises that you always use, you always pick the best player. So I'm figuring at 17, if our process is right, if we believe in what we're doing 
as a staff and as a coaching department and the players we choose, you know, I think John Dorsey's got all the information and everything to make the right pick for the organization. So for the combine, when it's when you're looking at different positions, is, is there a specific thing you're looking for at each position, maybe more than most when, when you're well, seeing you him know, there? When you're looking at offensive linemen, you want big guys with size and length, um, with flexibility, can bend and redirect. You know, you're looking at receivers, you want speed. You know, you look at DBs, you want speed. It's a it's a big it's a big man's game. The biggest and the fastest. You know, those are the guys we're looking for always. Now you've been doing this for for a long time. What, what did you when you when you went there as a scout for the first time? What were you looking for, and how has that process maybe evolved for for yourself? Well, when I went there as a scout for the first time, it was a unique perspective having been in it. Yeah. So being able to step on the other side and evaluate the players was very interesting. It was a lot of fun, and it's an opportunity to see three hundred of the be- of the top players in college football and. Just because you go into the draft doesn't guarantee you success in the NFL. Like I said, it's 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 part of the process. It doesn't mean you're at, because you're at the combine you're going to be a great player. There's a lot of players who didn't go to the combine who are in Hall of Fame, had tenure careers, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, the evolution of the draft is important, but we also understand that there are going to be players outside of this who are going to be there to contribute to teams as well. I know you don't get a ton of time with these guys, but how vital are those in-person interviews? Well, you know what? It's not a lot of time. We get about, I don't know, 20 minutes with each guy, something like that. And um, it's just a chance to have to get to know him, look him in his eye, and, you know, find out about the person and um, his attitude. And we're looking for a lot of little things. You know, how is he in a room? How You know, how's his personality? Is he, you know, is he... Um, combative is he personable all those sorts of things and when we're interviewing guys if you're looking back at last year's class was there one guy when you when you sat down and talked to him that, that really stood out when you look back on it probably nick chubb you know and he was a very impressive young man um very stoic very serious um you knew he was a good person based on your travels at the school and all that but meeting him in person you had an opportunity to see this is a real guy I know Baker made a big moment at the combine last year saying if there's a guy to turn around the franchise, yeah. I'm that guy. Is that is that something he brought into the meeting room with you guys as well, or how, was it different with the media and maybe where he wasn't with, no, with the teams? You know what? We, we don't really listen to the media and all that kind of stuff. Because we're the ones grading the players yeah. and, and, and in that process. But meeting Baker, you kind of knew who he was as a person, as a teammate, and there was so much work done on him. You know the part, uh, the the the, um, the combine was just one part in a four-part series, you could say. Yeah. You know, and then you had to meet him for dinner at the pre-draft, then you had to meet him in March at his pro day, and then you had him come in for a visit. So. There's so many things that go into that making that pick at number one. I know a guy like Jannard Avery had to be physically something that really impressed you yeah. at that kind of event. Yeah. Do you remember anything he did there? Uh, no, I saw him in the NFLPA game. I did him at the University of Memphis, and he was a guy I really didn't see who he was at the school. And then I came here from Green Bay, and I kind of lost track of him. Then I saw him again at the um, NFLPA game where he stood out. And then his spring, he had a good workout. I was kind of thinking maybe he was going to be a fullback or something like that. And, um, you know, John Joyce, he does a great job of evaluating players. And, you know, he saw something I didn't even see in him. As a group, we saw, you know, everything we do as an organization is about the process and us getting it right 
as the group. And, you know, I've always said this, when I'm weak, you know, the group is strong. When the group is weak, I'm strong. And, you know, it's about the process and us getting it right for the Cleveland Browns. How different has it been this year compared to last year when you've got a full year on the job now? A lot smoother. It's um, I know my way around the building. I know the people. I understand the scouts I work with now. And um, I think everyone kind of understands how the process works now. Because no one, the only people who had an idea how it worked were the guys who worked with John Dorsey in the past. So... I think we cleared that hurdle and everything is going well, and now we just have to get ready for another good draft. And is there just a sense of confidence knowing how successful last year's draft class was and, and showing that that process is working? Well, it, it shows that it works, but every year is different. I mean, I mean, the expectations are going to be high. Um, we're going to have to be better this year than we were last year because of expectations. and. I think everyone's working hard. All the scouts have put in the time. Um, you know, we watched the film. Now the process begins. And by April 28th or 29th, whereas we will have an idea of who we, want to be, who we want to be future Browns. Does anything change with you guys having that pick at number 17 as compared to when it was one and four? No. It just means you're picking a little later that evening. <laughs> so we're excited about it. And, um, you know, whatever pick you're at doesn't guarantee you anything. You, you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's so many factors and things that go into this draft. You know, your, 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 two, your, your two best draft picks might be the fourth and fifth round guy. Yeah. So every pick is important. Um, I, I've always looked at a seventh round pick just as important as a first round pick. That's just my thinking and how I'm wired and I think every pick is equally important. And now what do you guys do because obviously there's players that you guys look at that aren't at, at this event. How do you guys get those guys addressed if they're not at, at this well, event? What we'll, do you We'll see them at their pro days. Yeah. You know every player in this draft who's eligible for the draft that went to a college is going to have a pro day to school and the players who aren't at the draft we're going to see them all. We'll, we'll see them at their school and you know and sometimes it's kind of good they didn't go to the draft. You know <laughs> maybe those other teams won't take notice to them or something like that. So, you know, they're going to get the same coverage as they would have got if they were at the Combine. Is there any players you remember maybe even dating back to, to Green Bay where you hadn't even really thought about a guy and then you saw him at the Combine you are like, wow, this guy's someone we have to have? Oh, man, not really. Because you, you know these guys before they go to the Combine. <laughs> now, some guys you're surprised who they ran faster or they ran slower. That's some of the things that really sticks out in your mind. Um you thought someone was going to be real fast and they weren't fast, or you thought someone was going to be real slow and they weren't slow. So, you know, those things factor into it as well. And are you surprised or how uh, recently how much more prepped these guys are, even with the interviews and stuff like that, because of all the training? And can you get, is there any way you guys can cut through that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, you can cut through because you have to watch film. Film <laughs> never lies. Yeah. I mean, if you play slow on film and you run fast, you're still the same guy. You know, film, if you if you stick to the film, the film doesn't lie because no matter what anybody says, is that the film is your DNA. The film is who you are. And, you know, we get fooled by the You know, sometimes workout numbers can fool you, but you always got to go back to the tape. Outside of everything you guys are doing there, this is one of the few events where 
everyone in the NFL is in one city. I mean, what's that? What's that like being around basically everyone that has your job and and everything like that? What What's that kind of experience like for um, a guy like you? It's interesting because you get the one time a year you get to see all your friends, you know, and um, it's an interesting process and. You know, you meet you meet new friends. You know, guys you hadn't seen in two years. Um, people change teams, like I changed teams, and to see the Green Bay crowd, coaches and scouts walking together, and now I'm with Cleveland. You know, so it's um, it's interesting. It's a unique it's a unique feel. It's hard to explain because, it's, like you said, it's the one time of year where every NFL coach, every GM, some owners are there. But you guys, I mean, you guys are working crazy hours too. I mean, that's the thing. We're working from the time we get up in the morning till the last interview at eleven o'clock at night. So it's um, it's a long seven, eight days. I mean, for you here, it's it's close. Yeah. It's not not a big trip, but maybe maybe this thing gets moved in a few years. Yeah, Who knows? That's going to be. I'm hoping it never leaves Indianapolis. Special thanks again to Browns Vice President of Player Personnel Alonzo Highsmith for joining us. Zoe is fantastic. Gribbs, great job by you on that. Just some really good takeaways from his time as a player to what he's looking for. And he said it, speed, speed, and speed. Big factor. Yeah, and, and the, the he didn't necessarily say this, but the vibe I got from him was that the combine can help you a little bit, but I feel like it can hurt you more than it can help you. Because I think that you have you're going in with these expectations – and if those players hit that expectation, you're like, all right, on to the next step. If they don't hit those expectations, then you're like, oh, what's wrong with this guy? Like, you know, I think that's an issue. And then it also shows, like, you can't just, like, fix your college career off a great combine. You know, there's some guys that Which is good. turn into combine superstars, but it, just because you played slow, like he said, we saw in film you played slow and all of a sudden you're moving fast. That just, you know, that tells me that you're just – you studied up for the the test after not going to class for a few weeks. You know, what I mean, so I, I think that uh, that's some good insight there. But it, the way he talks about it, one, it shows us that we probably make way bigger of a deal of the combine than uh, than we need to do. But that's just the way the NFL works. I think this is the one of the biggest eyeball mo- moments for the draft. But there's just so much going on, and I can say like we were we've been in this building all February. Those guys have booked the meeting room from. <laughs> 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and it's no, it was no joke, February 1st to February 18th. I was here in the building. It was Monday. That was their last day of meetings, and they were some of these guys were flying out because uh, they don't. some of these guys don't live here. I mean, they're scouts. They have homes elsewhere. Yep. Uh, they were getting their flights out and everything, but a lot of, a lot of catered meals. I, I came in on some off days where our cafeteria was closed. They had the meals available. I mean, they, they were going grinding. They, they would come out for lunch from 12 to 1, but it's basically – their big summit before the combine where everyone has to talk about the players they've been evaluating. Everyone in the room discusses them. And then that's starting to put together that big board. Right. And then this is one where I don't know if this is a later stage of the process. It seems like it's too early now when I asked Alonzo about this, but picking 17th, this is where you have to start trying to get Intel from other teams on what they're going to do. Cause that could affect how you, I don't know. You're going to, your board is your board. But then you have to start wondering if guys are even going to be available or not. You have to you have to know, start knowing what some other teams are thinking, so what can be realistic for you going into this draft. It's not like you. I doubt they're spending much time in there discussing Nick Bosa. You know, I mean, I, I just don't think you know, there's not like or a Josh Allen. I mean, those guys are top three guys. We're picking seventeenth, and barring a 
a, a crazy trade, we're probably staying around 17th. So, I mean, that's where that's where the strategy, I think, is a little different this year after a year where you had the first and fourth pick in the draft. And I think that they're, part of those discussions are also who are we going to talk to at the Combine? Because yeah. you can only talk to so many guys. And who's going to go where? Who's going to watch what guys doing what exercises? Where are you going to be on this day? Where are you going to be? Because – they leave for a week, and then they all go, come to Indianapolis. Yeah, and then it's starting to figure out. Okay, we've got pro days, and then we've got the individual meetings and research, doing background checks, making sure that everything is, that no stone is unturned, and it's a lot of work here. And yeah. February first started off right before the Super Bowl. Starts off a very very busy time here. Yeah, it's just it's neat because you see a lot of guys here that you don't see much at all. I mean, these guys live on the road. Yeah, they live in different parts of the country because they've got their their assigned territory. So I do wonder when you're plotting those interviews, do you want to have someone in the room who's been watching them all year, along with some other guys who haven't ever made contact with this prospect? You have to plot out your line of questioning. You don't have much time. So you have to. And how are you going to basically how are you going to break the guy? Because they've all been prepped and trained on how to answer these questions. I was surprised that he said that Nick Chubb was the guy that stood out the most for him. That was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's interesting because you, we know Nick is not the most uh, ver- verbose guy to talk to. I mean, he's all business. And I think that's that that's what came often to them. I think that impressed him. I mean, Alonzo has been Nick Chubb's biggest champion for for a while now i mean but that was interesting to hear that that's the guy that blew them away in the interview room more than most that was a great interview well done by you and uh i think we managed to hit a home run here the first two weeks with charles davis and alonzo high and next week we can't do any wrong at the combine if you missed last week's best podcast available you can get it wherever you download your podcast or go on to clevelandbrowns.com to do that let's get the latest on the mock drafts and we start things off with Mel Kuyper's Draft 2.0. And this one came out uh, just a couple days ago. He's got the Browns taking Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle from Clemson. He had Jeffrey Simmons there uh, in his first mock draft. Obviously, with Simmons tearing his ACL, uh, the thought is he's going to drop to day two. I thought it was interesting, though, the last sentence, GM John Dorsey could also try to get a weapon for Baker Mayfield here. But that was before Marquise Brown obviously went down and will miss a bunch of time. Dexter Lawrence, a defensive tackle from Clemson, 6'5", 340 pounds. Yeah, the the one that jumps out with me with Dexter Lawrence is this is a big guy. I mean, he's 340 pounds. He is your prototypical run-stuffing defensive tackle. And so when you think about that, you're like, okay, that makes sense. The Browns stunk against the run last year. <laughs> you know, you need someone – to compliment Ogunjobi in the middle, you need more of a run stuffer. Seemingly makes sense. But on the other hand, isn't the NFL going in the direction where you need both these guys to bring pressure up the middle? And I think that's where people are a little divided on which one they which Clemson guy they like better as that defensive tackle. And I think this transitions nicely into Kalen Kaler's mock draft, where she also has the Browns taking a Dexter Lawrence. Where her and Kuiper differ is the place where Christian Wilkins goes. So Kuiper looks at it like the Browns would be choosing Dexter Lawrence over Christian Wilkins, whereas uh, Kalen Kaler looks at it like Wilkins is going 14th, and you're kind of left with with Dexter Lawrence because Wilkins is the pass rusher in the middle that has some weaknesses against the run, and Dexter's kind of the the opposite of that. 
So to be, it's more about what what kind of flavor you like from your Clemson defensive tackles. This was an elite defense for a reason. Both these guys are great players. Uh, that's where that's where it gets interesting with this with with that kind of selection in the middle of the defensive line. I know Walter Football still has the Browns taking Jeffrey Simmons. I I just don't see that happening at seventeen with a torn ACL. I just don't see that. No, a number one pick needs to be an impact guy. You're close. Yeah, you know your your draft picks at the top still have to make impacts. We saw what happened last year when your top picks made impacts. You turned around your franchise. If you can hit on this pick, whatever it's going to be, whether it's a defensive player, whether it's an offensive lineman, whether it's a skill guy, it just better's your football team. And even though you're picking 17 and you're not picking one, you're not picking number four, you have got to make sure that you hit on this kid. I do think what's interesting with Kuyper's take on the draft right now is I think he's higher on some of these offensive playmakers than others are. Because I think we've been under the impression that at 17, you could very well get the top wide receiver in the draft. But the way he sees it as of now, he not only has DK Metcalf going ninth, he also yeah, has Buffalo. yeah to Buffalo. He also has TJ Hokinson, the tight end from the uh, from Iowa, going eighth, which that would be a a very uh, to me that's that's the one person that's gone on the ledge of that. And then he also has Marquise Brown number twelve to the Packers, so that would be two wide receivers, uh, tight end. a tight end off the board before the Browns even selected. Whereas most others see it that the Browns could have the best wide receiver or tight end available in the draft at 17 without having to worry about these teams in front. So that that's like that shows how divided these guys are right now with some of these offensive playmakers who it seems like it's it's all about flavors on how they might fit your offense. And I I, I think it would be interesting to see a player like Marquise Brown with the Packers. I mean that if he Rodgers could have someone that could take the top off of the defense, but that's where it gets interesting. I lean again way more defense than I would think with with a playmaker at that 17 position, especially if those guys are off the board ahead of, ahead of that guy. All right, so we've talked to Mel Kuyper. We, we've talked Kalen Kaler from the MMQB. Charlie Casserly, uh, former NFL GM and, and a darn good one, with his first mock draft. He's got three quarterbacks going in round one, but he doesn't – you mentioned it. He's got a tight end, the Hawkinson kid, going to the Lions at eight. But he doesn't have any skill guys gone when the Browns are on the board at 17. But he has the Browns taking a linebacker, Devin White, out of LSU. Pretty special player. I'd be shocked if this kid falls to 17. But, I mean, I guess he's got a lot of offensive linemen going before we get to pick number 17. Yeah, this would be one of those picks where it would really be following, like, the best player available model. I mean, this is someone where you're like, this guy's a great talent. Let's find a way to plug him in. I mean, I don't care if he plays the same exact position per se as Christian Kirksey, maybe. You find a way to make it work. And I think that's what the Browns – I don't think they would hesitate to make a move to get a player like this because I think this team can get better at linebacker. Uh, and I think that so, someone like the, of this talent who, when he was suspended for the first half of the Alabama-LSU game, there was LSU fans treated it like a death blow. I mean, they, didn't, they already didn't have much of a chance, and then they lose one of their best defensive players in that game. He was a big impact player on that defense. That This would be a pick I would I would really like. And I think oh, it's one – heartbeat. Yeah, because I, I think he would be someone that could really just be a playmaker for your defense. Super productive player at LSU, a captain, Buckus Award winner, all, all the things you like uh, from, from that position. Uh, I would think it'd be a home run. I, I I just wonder why he's getting mixed reviews. Is it maybe position fit? Is it just because every everyone's looking for these 
true pass rusher types or anything like that. I, but he's just a good football player. In a heartbeat. I mean, Mel Kuyper has got him going to the Bengals at pick 11. I would not be pleased about that. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I saw another team. There was an, I think we put out a mock on Tuesday or a roundup of the mocks, and someone, one of the mock drafts had Devin White going to the Steelers. And someone responded to me, he's like, why are we letting all these great players always go to the Steelers and, you know, to get these better? Because we always see, saw the Shaziers and everyone like that, these great defensive players end up with Pittsburgh. It, this would be a pick I would like. I, yeah. I would be on board with this. It would truly fit the best player available model. But uh, we'll see if he gets there. So Nick Bosa, you know, we, we're, all right, we've talked about who the experts have the Browns taking. Nick Bosa's at number one. He's going to work out at the Combine. He's going to go through everything. This is after he missed half a season at Ohio State. I think how he handled some things was disappointing, especially not being on the sideline, not being supportive of your teammates and just dropping out of school altogether. And yet he's a unanimous number one. Is there any way that he isn't the number one pick in this draft? Uh, I think if someone gets crazy and trades and thinks the only way they can get Kyler Murray is if they take the number one pick, if they trade. Because Arizona is in a position to trade this pick unless they want Kyler Murray for themselves because they've got their quarterback. So they don't necessarily have to have Nick Bosa. They could, if they fall in love with a Josh Allen or, or some of these other top players, I mean, I, I barely, I've barely looked at the top of draft because it doesn't concern us, but I, I know that, you know, it's, it's always Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, and Quinn and Williams. If some, some teams fall in love with these kind of players, I just don't see anyone trading up to number one to get a non-quarterback especially in this kind of draft where there's a lot of good defensive players. So I, it'll be interesting. I think Nick Bosa can get away with a lot of this stuff, these potential red flags, because of what his brother's done, who also was a different guy. And this, it, is a, this is a family that knows the business side of football more than most. And I think he will get grilled on this. You know, brother also has an injury history here. Yeah. And he's missed some time here in the NFL. And I think the questions are going to be – it'll be interesting to see his medicals maybe more so than, you know, how he answers questions and how he performs at the Combine. But is it a family history of injuries? Is it just a freak injury? And he, you know, just decided to play it safe and, and leave school. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, – it'll be interesting because the Cardinals, like – weren't like terrible on defense last year. They were a mess on offense. Yes. I think Steve Wilkes did a great job with keeping that defense in the I think especially against the pass. They were a pretty tough defense. So it's not like like they need this guy on their defense. So I, I think they're in a position to trade. It just seems to me but this this is what happens when you have a weak quarterback class. There's like no buzz around Nick Bosa right now. Even though he's coming from Ohio State. It's yeah. just we haven't we haven't talked about him since what, September? As a player, I mean, it's been a long time. So, and and really, Kentucky was better this year, but Josh Allen wasn't a household name throughout most of that season because it's still Kentucky. So, and Quinton Williams was the guy that maybe had the most buzz going with him. Well, and that's – I talked to, you know, our, our good friend Bo Bishop who does Cleveland Browns Daily every day, and he says, you know, Josh Allen, Rashawn Gary, who's being mentioned as a top four or five pick, Williams, who you talked about, Farrell, the edge rusher from Clemson, he said, you know, they were, everybody just kind of – they all had disappearing moments. There was never consistently every game just a dominating performance like you got from Bosa prior to Bosa getting hurt. And that's where the questions are. I do wonder, say a team like – if you're the Giants, 
and you know you want to take Dwayne Haskins, if he's your guy as your quarterback, to take over the reins for Eli Manning, do you worry about having to wait until number six to get him? And is that a team that could potentially trade up? Could someone like Dwayne Haskins be the number one pick in this draft? If you're you when you're number six, you can't guarantee that someone's not going to trade ahead of you and get your guy. Yeah, and I think that's a, that could be a concern. It's not like last year when the Jets could trade up to number three and feel pretty good about their options at that spot. And six, I, you you but you're probably only going to have one guy you want. I think that in that situation, Denver was a prime candidate before they went out and got Joe Flacco. Yeah, <laughs> to move up to that num- move up to number three, and, and make a deal with the Jets and snag that quarterback. Now they have Flacco. I don't think they're looking for a quarterback. Yeah. So is it the Dolphins' move to move up? Do they have the assets to move up? I, I think the Dolphins are playing for 2020. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that they're even – I don't think they're concerning themselves with this. So I don't know if anybody moves up now. Yeah, Jacksonville is the only other team you think about, but they, sure. they might be a prime candidate to get a Nick Foles. A Ty, if, if the Browns don't – Resign Tyrod Taylor. That's another guy that makes a lot of sense for the Jaguars. They're, they have a team that's built to win now as well with their defense. They have high expectations, so a rookie might not make sense for them as well. You know, a lot of these mocks will get a lot more detail and a lot more in-depth after next week. Yeah. We'll have a much better idea where guys are having a better shot of going than other places. Yeah, but this is still – there's not going to be clarity, even by the draft. I mean, this is life at number 17. I mean, yeah. That's what's going to happen. I mean, there's you're relying on a lot of teams – decisions and i just think that it's that part of the draft where it gets a little murky where the guy that is projected in a mock draft all preseason at number 15 that guy could very well go number 35 you know it's just it just that that's where this stuff gets really in flux really the only thing that gets set i would say is at at best the top 10 and then after that it's usually a a crapshoot and i think with a number of clemson kids coming out yeah (laughs) i mean who's great who's good who maybe was good because of the players they played around. Yeah. I think that's something that you're going to have to figure out here uh, as we get closer to the NFL draft. All right, this is our NFL Combine preview, so we got to do three big things. Andrew Gribbles, three big things to watch for next week at the NFL Combine. Gribbs, are you ready? I am. Let's go number one. Number one is going to be DK Metcalf. I'm the most intrigued by him because of what he's done to his body. He's coming off an injury. And he truly does look like David Boston. And I don't know if that's a good thing right now. So it's now he's made himself look great. Now can he move? Convince me why you are the best wide receiver in the draft. I think that he's going to have a lot of eyes on him because it's a it's a sexy position. And he is the biggest name at that position. And I think the, the viral photo has just raised him to another level. So let's see if he has that speed. We don't need a big slow guy. We need a big fast guy. And I think that especially if, you're, if you are even – considering a wide receiver in the first round, you've got to be pretty sure that they're going to help you right away, which recent years, they've not. I mean, the guy from Ole Miss just a few years ago, same same kind of receiver, Laquan Treadwell, he's done nothing in the NFL. You know, I think that there's – and there's a lot of guys like that because the NFL, they're running these very simple routes in college right now, and then all of a sudden it gets a little bit more complex uh, at the NFL level. My second thing is nothing combine-related, but it's in terms of on-field, but off-field – I want to know who's interviewing quarterbacks, mostly because I want to figure out how many quarterbacks are going to be taken before the Browns make their pick. I'm rooting for all of the quarterbacks to be taken before the Browns make their pick because I want the best defensive player or even just best player possible 
And I don't think Daniel Jones or Drew Locke are better football players than a lot of the players that than the guy that the Brown can get at 17, but they're quarterbacks and they're probably going to go ahead of him. I'm rooting for TJ Hawkinson. Go, go above 17. <laughs> I'm rooting for all these guys to go that the Browns wouldn't be interested in, get them off the board and, and get us the best possible player at number 17. Number three is, is the last day of drills. It's the defensive backs, the corners. This is where 40 times matter. I think that's there's a lot of other positions. They don't matter as much. I think it matters at the at that corner. And I think that we saw it last year. I think it's li- maybe the only thing Denzel Ward did at the combine was run the 40 because he had some other issues injury-wise. He did more stuff uh, later down the line. But I want to see what these guys run. Speed very much helps, and it could separate you. Because I think there's a couple corners that keep getting linked to the Browns that I would not be opposed to. Greedy Williams from LSU, Byron Murphy from uh, Washington. Uh, this team has much upgraded their defensive backfield, but in no position to turn one away if there's a really good one at 17. So that's if, if there's a guy that can really impress you as a, as a corner with his athleticism, that can really tell you that this guy's ready to fit into your defense. And, and especially with new defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes, a defensive back background, I think he'll have his, his eyes definitely trained to what those guys are doing. Perfect. Those are three big things to watch for next week at the NFL Combine. A reminder, our podcast will come to you live from Indianapolis next week. Cleveland Browns Daily will be live on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. A number of interviews, uh, a number of videos, compliments of our video team with a behind-the-scenes look at the NFL Combine all week long. Now, I have one factor fiction. Factor fiction a player will get sent home because they will be annoyed with how long the medical process takes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a Reuben Foster out there. I mean, there's some the, the, these guys go through a lot. And I just I think that it's it's a it's a grind of a week and it's really a grind of a season for these these guys. And I think that's why for once these guys go through their final rookie season, it's January when they finally get a break. They've been through a lot, so I don't blame them for their emotions, but that's that's part of the test too. You got to be able to handle all this stuff. It's not even just Ruben Foster. I feel like every year there's someone, either predominantly or a guy we don't know about, that there's a release. He's been sent home. He was arguing with the medical staff. He got annoyed with the process. I mean, just think about though, how annoying is it to go to the doctor, and then you multiply that by thirty-two, because you're getting checked over and over and over again, same stuff, same questions. And if you're a guy that's had an injury, you're getting asked about that injury over and over and over again. I don't blame these guys for getting frustrated, but again, it's part of the test. So right. we'll see. We'll see. I think there's there's always potential. There's always one bombshell moment at every combine. Two years ago, I think it was the Jimmy G news yep. that took over the combine, and the last, and then it, there's just been issues. There's there's always something every year. There is indeed. Final question: the go-to restaurant. Next week when we are in Indy, uh, it's no brainer. It's Irias. It's, it's just, I mean, we we we. I think we already started talking about making a, a reservation. I mean, that St. Elmo's. You go there once a couple times. It's fine. It's great. You have the shrimp cocktail and yeah, the spicy sauce. You got to get away from the. In Indianapolis, you got to get away from the the block that is the area where all the combine is to get the real good restaurants. There's there's a couple good ones in that area, but you got to venture out to like Indy's version of Ohio City or Indy's version of Tremont. That's where you're going to find some of the good restaurants. Iria's is definitely the best. Yeah, fantastic uh, Italian food, and and my recommendation is Nada uh, for the tacos. Oh yeah, that's and that's good. That's in the square. That that'll be uh, that'll be one of the nights. I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah, that's it. 
that's going to wrap up this week's best podcast available. Final thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's it's exciting to finally get to the this. I feel like this has been a slow moving draft season. We're scraping for draft news, but I think once this combine finally happens, you get to free agency, then we can really start kicking into gear. No question about it. He's Andrew Gribble. I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks to Browns Vice President of Player Personnel, Alonzo Highsmith. Thanks to you for listening. Reminder, you can get this podcast at clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed last week with Charles Davis and Nathan Zagura, you can check that one out as well there. And we'll be with you every Thursday all the way up to the 2019 NFL Draft. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available. Thank you.